My guest on this week's episode of Suds and Search is Perna Vergi, Senior Content Marketing Evangelist for LinkedIn. Perna is one of the most popular and recognizable personalities in paid media. In 2019, Perna was awarded the U.S. Search Personality of the Year Award. She is a mainstay on PPC Hero's list of the top 25 PPC influencers in the world. In 2016, PPC Hero named Perna the most influential PPC marketer in the world. For many years, Perna served as Microsoft's brand ambassador to the PPC community. She left that role in the fall of 2020, but stayed in the Microsoft family by joining LinkedIn. We're going to start our conversation asking her about how the transition's going. Perna is a leading conference presenter and frequent keynoter. It's hard to think of a digital marketing conference she hasn't spoken at. A very, very short list of the conferences you might have heard Perna present includes PubCon, Brighton, MozCon, and many of the different SMX events. I'm going to ask her about a recent presentation she did at InOrbit titled Building Breakthrough Content for LinkedIn. In the talk, Perna describes what differentiates a LinkedIn user from users on other platforms, and she gives a lot of actionable tips for how to reach this audience. Perna is also a leading blogger and educator. During her time at Microsoft, she helped prepare a white paper on inclusive marketing titled Your Get Started Guide to Inclusive Marketing. I'm going to ask Perna about the ebook, which was truly excellent. After you're done listening to this interview, there's a link to the ebook in the show notes. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Perna Vergi, one of the leading voices in paid media today. We'll chat about how to make your content stand out on LinkedIn, a concept called inattentional amnesia, and I'll ask Perna about how breaking both her arms changed the way she does searches. All right, Perna Vergi, welcome to Sudden Search. How are you doing? I am doing great. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited to have you. This is a big get for us. I've I wanted to start. I've known you for years as Microsoft's one of their most recognizable ambassadors. Uh, you took a new job in the fall, but kept it in the family. You're uh, still over at LinkedIn. Your job title is content marketing evangelist for LinkedIn. Tell us about the transition to your new role and how it's been going. Um, it's been it's been amazing. Like everything that you hear about LinkedIn, like all the great things, it is. 10 times better than what you've heard, I promise. And I love that I'm so part of the Microsoft family. Like I joke, I joke, I say like, I drink the Kool-Aid, like I believe everything. Like I am such a fan of like Satya Nadella and his vision and how he's transformed the company. So for me, when I was time, like I'd been in my role for like close to six years and, you know, I was looking at what's next. And this role at LinkedIn just came up at the the best time ever it was exactly where i wanted to go next it's what i was passionate about like i said i love people and understanding what resonates with them and why they take actions and how can we use content to convince them and take action and so this is this is exactly for me personally it's the best role i could be in well wonderful well i wanted to ask you about a presentation you did for in orbit which was a virtual conference um the title of it was Building Breakthrough Content for LinkedIn. And this is, I thought it was a great presentation and I learned a lot from it. So I thought maybe our audience would as well. One of the main questions you pose at the beginning is, is our content cutting through the noise or adding to the noise? And I think maybe a good place to start is the mindset of a LinkedIn member. So it's different than the other, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. These are different than LinkedIn. Um, how would you describe the mindset of a typical LinkedIn member? 
So I would say there's a couple of things that differentiate um, the LinkedIn member. Like the first thing is just how trusted LinkedIn is as a platform. And like that plays a big role into it. People want to put their best professional foot forward. And what they tend to think about LinkedIn as it's as a place for them to invest their yeah, time. Like point. they're coming to LinkedIn to to learn, to grow, uh, to fulfill both their professional, but also personal aspirations. And so what we tend to see on LinkedIn is that tips and tricks and trends tend to form like the bedrock of engagement. Like people want to learn. And so if you can go out there and help people with their goals, you know, you really tied in well with them. Yeah, so I, I like this very much. And you did this differential. You looked at the trending topics in LinkedIn versus the trending topics on Twitter. Twitter was kind of like uh, almost tabloidish was what's going on in the world of sports and news and everything like that. Uh, if I were to look at trending topics in, in LinkedIn, one of the things that was interesting is it was about uh, building yourself professionally and personally. So how can I get you know better at, uh, you know, supporting working parents at my company. You might find that information at LinkedIn. Um, you know, I wonder what what would you say uh, to, to people who are having trouble doing what you said, bringing through the noise? What advice could you give them to, to break through the noise and actually stand out on LinkedIn? So the number one piece of advice is like this very small mindset shift. Like we always tend to start with what do I want to say? Like, what do I need to promote? Where just shift it to what do they want to hear? Like what's going to resonate with them? And where are they in their sort of decision journey stage? You know, most of us like to think about it in terms of the funnel, which is a great yeah. concept. But if we boil it down to its simplicity, it's, how can we align content to intent? Like are people looking to learn more about the problem, about the solutions, about you know your company as a whole? Or are they looking for more action type content where it is like, how do they work with you? Like, what are your offers? How do they set it up? And people go back and forth between the different stages. So you just wanna be there uh, as often as possible. We recommend like once a week on okay. average, you know, once a day, ideally, uh, two, three times a week on average, if you can post on LinkedIn, that even does better because you'll get engagement. Right. Um, and then post that out there, like think about your audience, where are they in their stage? What are they most looking to know at that time and be there? There's uh, there's awesome stats that I just came across. It was from like this Forrester mm. and Google study that showed that 90% of the decision journey in B2B is often made before they contact a vendor. No kidding. And people on average will look at 13 pieces of content in that process. So if all of these decisions are being made before, it's literally, it is your content that is gonna be your best representative. It is gonna be the thing that people can use to, to form their decision. So are you out there? Is your content representing you in the best way possible? Is it convincing people to want to even just put you on their shortlist? Uh, that's important to think about. Well, awesome. And I, I think all of those are good tips. And then one of the things that whenever I think about so, uh, social media, Something you talk about is how to stop people's thumbs from scrolling on the screen. So it, yeah, how to stop thumbs. And you had a number of suggestions that I wonder if I could take you through those one by one if, if you're up for it. One of the things yeah. I thought was, uh, this is a gutsy one, but I liked it. So if I want to stop thumbs, take a contrarian approach. That can be an effective way to stop thumbs. Can you give us an example of 
where being a contrarian has worked well? Oh, absolutely. And like the whole thing is about being disruptive because, yeah, I say this all the time because I looked at these stats. One, these days we're all spending on average like eight hours on our phones. And in those eight hours, we're scrolling through 300 feet of content. And even if you have the best ad with the right targeting, all of that, if it's not stopping people from scrolling past you, then it's all moot, isn't it? So your content needs to get people to stop and want to pay attention. And this kind of disruptive, contrarian approach, like be unexpected, is is that's your hook, right? The more unexpected it is, the more people will stop and pay attention. Yeah. If we had to think about a human version, it's like it's Gary V, isn't it? Right. Like he is, you know, a decise uh um people either love him or hate him, but you know, the fact that he's contrarian and he's going out there you know, talking about different views is a big reason why he's well known. And that can help you stand out. Uh, my sister team at LinkedIn called the, the B2B Institute, like every year they put out marketing trends. And you know, LinkedIn's not the only company that puts out marketing trends once a year, like so many people do. But how do you stand out? They do a contrarian take on them. So they'll come up with challenges like why broad targeting is not a good idea. Uh, you know, things that go against conventional wisdom and then they back it up with facts and insights and it makes people want to read. Yeah. Uh, or it can be an example of just a different way of approaching creative, like Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Yeah. They are a B2B SaaS company. Uh, that's their audience. If you look at those ad creatives and everything, it's rational, fact-based, sea of mm -hmm. sameness almost. They created their that their monster, the IT monster mm -hmm. campaign, which is this like red, super fun monster. That, and they used uh, that persona, that character in their TV ads, LinkedIn, you know, across all the different channels. And it engaged with people. It was something that stood out and you'd almost think like why should you know we're hewlett packard right. we're a serious company like you know a red monster yeah, yep. yeah well i love this idea disrupt with unexpectedness is is uh is something i wanted to ask you and i wanted to ask you about the hewlett packard it monster so this is perfect but one of the things about linkedin i can think of is that it's professional um you know i want to have a wear a shirt and tie and a sport coat when i'm on there you know like look nice and but you need to have your personality shine through and you've talked about using humor. So like the IT monster can be a little bit silly. It can be a little bit different. How have you seen humor work to kind of stop thumbs or make for effective content on LinkedIn? Also humor is serious business. <laughs> humor works. A, it's like really, it's so relatable. People want to, and it also, I mean, research has shown that humor actually helps things be more memorable in your head. And it also allows brands to, to build that memorability, right? There's all this research, like numerous studies show this, that in, for consumers like B2C, people have to engage with your you know, your creatives right. five to seven times before they remember you in B2B. It's like 10, 11 plus times before they remember you. And there's a study by Gartner that shows like 71% of people will rate uh, you almost the same as your competitors. So if mm -hmm. your brands are not as distinctive as we tend to think they are. So one ways we can stand out is through personality and humor is a really good way to show personality because it is engaging. And it helps humanize the brand 
and people are not just one facet, right? Yes, right. we are professional, but we're also like warm, beating heart humans behind that professional image too. And both types of content work really well on LinkedIn. Like people want to see the whole self. They want to see the whole brand. Like think about startups that have used personality and humor well. It's like Lemonade is one of my favorite. They're the insurance mm. company as a startup. Insurance, such a crowded space, such a busy space. But then like Lemonade will come out with their quirky creatives. You know, they'll be, you know, they want to share advice on seven tips to look at before buying a house. They'll post it, like make sure you look at all the pictures to make sure you uncovering any like backyard cemeteries or demonic rooms, unless that's your jam. Like it's just so funny. Um, or when they're talking about life insurance, they're like, you know, common sense advice is that, you know, don't talk about money or debt. So here's mm -hmm. what we're going to do. Talk about money and debt. And it's, it's funny. It's engaging. You're like, okay, I get it. Lemonade. Now you're stuck in my head. I remember those creatives and I saw them like three weeks ago, but they're still in my head in a way. So that, that just helps. So use it. Do not be afraid. It is, there's so many brands that do it so well and a simple way to find it. Go on LinkedIn, go on the app, scroll, see what stops you in the tracks. Yeah. I, I, I love that tip. I think there's, I have two others that I want to ask you about real quickly. Mm -hmm. So one is, this is my favorite case study of them all. It, the tip is put a new spin on old formats. And it came from Barilla Pasta of all people. They had a partnership with Spotify where you could start a playlist and the playlist would end in exactly the amount of time it took to, to make spaghetti or linguine or farfalle, whatever pasta you chose. What a great idea. How does this putting a new spin on old formats play into this? Oh, it's such a good idea, right? Yeah. So I love that example so much too, because it's just a different way to put Barilla's name front and center. Even people are on Spotify all the time and like, oh, how do we get in on that? It's fantastic. I would always challenge people like look at existing platforms, creative ad formats and find a different way. Uh, another really good example is from Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. Now, all the social media formats, everybody has a live. So you've got LinkedIn Live, Instagram Live, Facebook Live. Everyone has a live. And what's common across all of them is that most brands, companies, marketers, we tend to think of it as a very one-off. It's an event. And then your event's done. Uh, but Johnson & Johnson was like, hmm, it's not an event. It can be like a TV documentary series approach. And that's how they used it. They created episodic content mm -hmm. that they did via lives it and they called it road to the vaccine and it sort of featured experts insights behind the scenes into j and j's vaccine creation so amazing content very interesting but as a marketer i'm like it's more interesting how they even packaged it so they would treat it as a content franchise before every quote unquote episode, they would send out emails to be like, don't forget, tune in at this time. After the live, they would send, here's an episode recap. Uh, it was so polished and kept the brand top of mind. And it was a simple free format live. It was so easy to do and anyone could replicate that. Wonderful. And I, I want to take just a quick step back. You introduced me to a term at the beginning of that presentation called inattentional amnesia, which is about despite seeing something a lot of times you fail to create a lasting memory of it. My favorite example of this was, uh, you know, I'm looking, I interact with Google every day, eight hours a day. I'm Googling all the time. And you said, huh, what is the second, what is the color of the second letter in Google's logo? 
And I went, I, can't, I have no idea. I could not remember at all. Um, you know, it, it's, it's clear to anyone in marketing that building affinity for your brand is incredibly important. What role does this in, in, inattentional amnesia play into this brand building? It's so much, it just goes back to the people's a, inability to differentiate you from your competitors or just to build that brand recall in the first place. And that's what's important, right? If you think about um, the top of mind, you talk about like brand awareness. So like how many neurons a brand has in, in the head of somebody. Yeah, you know, fame is at the top, which is like Coca-Cola fame, which is the brand that's talked about in many different situations. Everyone knows it. It's part of like movies, pop culture. But the sweet spot is salience, which is when you know of the brand and you think about it at the right time. So let's say I'm looking for car insurance because of Geico's Gecko memorable commercials that they've done over time. Now, when I'm looking to buy car insurance, like Geico pops in my head. So now I'm more likely to give them business because I think about them. And then you have sort of awareness at the bottom of that brand awareness function where they just know you exist, but they may not think about you at the right time. So you need to get awareness, but also move people into salience. So you want to be associated with uh, buying at the right time. And so that's where building that brand distinctiveness and overcoming that inattentional amnesia can help. And if I can give one tip for how to do that, it can be through like visual consistency. Like very often people use stock images, but there's a lot of commoditization where ads and creatives will look the same, but put in like, what's your distinctive brand DNA? Is it like color? Is it your logo? Is it a, a saying? Put that in every sort of visual place, whether it's a display ad, whether it's your image ad on LinkedIn, whether it is, you know, you know, MSAN ad on Microsoft, you know, whatever the platform, if it's visual, reinforce it. And a brand that does it really well is EY, so Ernst & Young. Every, every single visual will have their, uh, I, I forget what the shape is called, it's sort of this... Uh, rhombus i think okay. but i may be wrong sorry but this is a yellow color shape and it's in every creative that they have and i completely failed remembering the shape so my geometry teacher mm -hmm. is going to be very mad uh, if they're watching but yeah do that like that if they the easier they can recall your creative the easier they'll recall your brand later unbelievable so all this is great we're talking about the importance of logos and branding uh what the specific audience on linkedin but before long, you know, the rubber is going to meet, need to meet the road and we need to actually create some content. Um, we'll need some inspiration, perhaps. We'll need uh, some ideas. We'll need to ideate. Where do you think people should start when they're thinking about content on LinkedIn? The first step I should say is that people need to um, make sure they're balancing like brand and demand. So think about content along the full funnel. And the reason I say this is because there's, a, there's an independent studies like by IPA that found that when you can do a mix of brand and demand, uh, you can get up to five times the conversion rate than just brand or demand alone. So balance that because, you know, brand, you're always going to plant seeds and then you're going to nurture the seeds. So uh, keep both going. 
And so start with that. Then you want to sort of think about at every stage of the funnel, what's the mindset that my audience is in? So if it's top of funnel, probably right now you're unknown to them, or maybe they're just trying to figure out what they need, what the issues are, and you're trying to build brand recognition. So think about, hey, maybe for brand recognition, I can build uh, emotional hooks through personality, through humor, through that, or I'm trying to reinforce my brand through consistency. Then if I think like mid funnel, like nurture, so important, right? Here's when I wanna, here's they're trying to be like, figure out the problem, figure out what the solutions are. So now they're sort of trying to get into who they should go with. Here's your time where you can stand out by showcasing your expertise. So mm. showcase your products, do demos, like help them show how to associate your brand with the solution to their problems. And then sort of bottom funnel is when they are making, they're trying to make the decision now. So they've got their shortlist. They want to choose you. You can stand out by social proof, right? That I'll have what she's having as Meg Ryan trained as well um, at case studies. And here's where you think about your conversion experiences. Like, are you eliminating the friction? Like, what are those things that we can do to make it easy for them to choose you? So that's what I start. Start with your audience mindset, where they could be, think, plan content. And it's not as overwhelming as people might think, right? If you can just plan out your content calendar to be like, am I hitting different phases? And then it's much simpler to do. Wonderful. Well, I want to see if we can shift gears here a little bit to something you were involved in uh, in your previous role at Microsoft. And this is, has to do with inclusive marketing and accessible marketing. Some of these these topics that you presented at at conferences that I thought were so ex- extraordinary. Hope you're hope you're up for this. But this is a great topic because it makes sense from a business and bottom line perspective, and it also makes sense from a personal this is the right thing to do perspective. Um, for people who are listening, maybe they aren't familiar with accessible marketing. They didn't read the ebook. What are we talking about here? So there's a few different ways to think about it, right? If you you want to be able to reach as many people as you can, a business standpoint, but B, you also don't want to leave people behind. Like why unintentionally, and most for most brands, it is unintentional. You could be excluding uh, people. So you want to think about what are the different uh, facets and aspects of inclusion. Like, uh, you know, accessibility is one of the ways that you can think about and get started on it's very easy to action on your website and your presentations, but it also could be people's learning styles, content consumption styles. It could be preferences. Um, and I think it's easier to talk about through, through examples. One, if you're trying to reach different audiences, even start looking at your job descriptions and the work, the words that you use. You know, there's there's awesome studies that LinkedIn has posted about, you know, how the different words you use appeal differently to male and female. So like there's certain, if you're like, you know, aggressive goals and targets, that dissuades women, but it also makes men more likely to apply. So if you're like, hey, why am I getting so few women in my pipeline? Or maybe I'm only having men because I'm getting so few women. It's like, look at the words, uh, look at, the terminologies you use it's something so small and simple Uh, it's even in the images like the visuals if you're trying to very often 
brands want to do the right thing, but sometimes they'll be like, oh, picture of person on wheelchair on my website. Check. I'm done it. Mm. Now everyone knows I'm inclusive, but it's not. Right? It has to make sense. Um, if you are showcasing different people of different backgrounds, communities, sizes, ages, make sure they are reflected in creative throughout. Uh, you know, even if you're doing a PowerPoint presentation, something I try to do is make sure, like, do I have images that represent diverse groups and backgrounds of people? Small, small things help people be seen, uh, feel seen and included. Um, with So in terms of accessibility, think about the color combination, right? Some Somebody who may have color blindness, for example, may not be able to read the website. You know, are you having your simple SEO best practices, right? Are you having your, what's your H1, what's that? Uh, you know, your content hierarchy and your HTML helps for those readers to read it out in the right order and also helps uh, for your SEO too. Like small, small things, it's so karmic. If you try to do the best to reach and appeal to people, like you will get rewarded because it will help with some other best practices too. And make sure you're including the, the, the your target audiences in the group while making it. Uh, a brand who does that really well, like Tommy Hilfiger, they created this adaptive line of clothing where they thought they have like shirts with magnetic buttons. So if you have, you know, some difficulty with mobility or using your hands, it's a lot simpler. Or maybe if you only have one hand, it's a lot simpler to do uh, or target what they did. They created you know, very often children who may be uh, who may be diagnosed to be on this autism spectrum, they may have sensory like sensory issues. You know, sensitivities are common for certain groups of of people and children. And so, things like a simple tag that we take for granted on a T-shirt may be really bothersome. Oh, yeah. So they came out with their sensory friendly line of clothing that actually take out the tags, and it helps yeah. them, but it helps everyone else because it actually feels so much nicer uh, when there's no tags because you know we're like ah that is a bit annoying really and when it's gone so if it's authentic and it resonates with one audience it's really likely to resonate broader with broader audiences i think this is such a good point i was blown away by this scale so the the enormity of this surprised me so you said something like one in five people are have some sort of disability or maybe maybe yeah. a better way to phrase that is there are really over 1 billion people who are experiencing disabilities. And so that's the enormity of the audience that you could be reaching. Do I, I think it's worth underscoring that point. Yes, and it could be some people might, it might be a permanent disability. Sometimes it's even temporary or situational. For example, those adaptive shirts, it could help somebody maybe who is uh, maybe missing an arm. So like permanently, they don't have one, but it also could be somebody who's situational, like where they're holding a baby. They're, they just, they're a new parent. They're holding a baby. They only have one arm. It can be helpful. So if sometimes companies are like, oh, but there's only X number of people this could reach. I'm like, no, it's not. It's if you think about the situational or others, people could be driving in the car and maybe they want something that is a speech to text or a text to speech a reader it could help people you know millions more people than one might realize so there is definitely a business opportunity there apart from being the right thing to do yes, so whichever yes, yeah. argument can sway or the mixture of both that's a win-win yeah, yeah i like it well listen this is uh you've been very generous with your time this is going to be everyone's favorite part of the show usually this is where greg gifford gives me a question with no context and i don't know anything for today's show, Mark Irvin has, is filling the role, and he has a question for you. Gave me no context. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, 
and so both of you, both of us don't really know this, but he's, he has said to ask Pernavergi, how did breaking your arms change the way you do searches? Did you break your arms? Oh my goodness. Yes. That was, that was a big uh, career changer. So I was in a car accident where I had cast literally from here to here. So I couldn't move my hands. I couldn't use my fingers. Like, can you, if you can imagine like holding a phone, like not very convenient. And so I was bored out of my mind and I, I decided being the nerdy person that I am, like, let me interact with Siri and with Cortana and see how I do that. And so I started messing around with voice search so much. And then I was, this was my entertainment. This was like my nerd passion. So I pinged all the poor researchers who were working on it at Microsoft and they all felt sorry for like the poor girl with the broken arms and they gave me some insights and research and it became my jam. I got so into voice search and then I went and shared that around with everyone and I love seeing how this usage of personal assistance of voice, you know, just a different mm -hmm. way to interact uh, comes in and the differences and the nuances between each. So yeah. Oh, thank you, Mark, for that question. <laughs> well, very good. Well, I'll let him know. Um, well, Perna, how do people get in touch with you if they'd like to connect with you or learn more about LinkedIn? Awesome. Well, I'm obsessively on both LinkedIn and Twitter all day. So you can follow me on LinkedIn or connect with me on Twitter and either way. So it's at Purna Virji uh, on both of them. Yeah, usually I ask that to just about everyone. That's kind of a loaded question for someone from LinkedIn. So I would I would say... Uh, I'm like, of course I'm on LinkedIn. Well, wonderful. Well, Perna, thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to give you a virtual cheers and sign off for now. We'll be back with, we'll be back with a new episode of Suds and Search next week. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun.